All right, good morning, everybody. We are now streaming live, uh, and we are only a few minutes late than last week. Last week, I will admit, was kind of crazy. I was just getting back from Japan, and uh, my computer had done a lot of updates while I was gone, and unbeknownst to me. So we were really late last week, but this week we're just a few minutes after the hour. So I hope everybody's having a great time uh, this weekend. Be live. Uh, and we are only a few minutes late then what a great time uh sorry a little bit of feedback there uh i used my laptop to monitor all the comments on facebook and i was watching a um i had a zoom on it and forgot to turn off the video and the audio so anywho it's another monday morning so january 22nd how's everybody doing how's everybody surviving the brittle brutal cold that we had a little bit of a warm-up today uh however uh, if anybody's experiencing heat um heat issues or anything to that effect my office is a warming station and you can stop by and you can certainly uh, have a cup of coffee and we can help you out to the best of our ability um so a couple um fun things friday was national popcorn day we have uh, a National Popcorn Day, not just a state day. So in 20, uh, 2003, 2003 uh, popcorn officially became the snack food of Illinois. So we have the official snack food of Illinois popcorn. Friday was National Popcorn Day. Uh, we have hundreds of farms cultivating popcorn on 47,000 acres. So we are the third largest grower of this Fantastic treat. I don't know about you, but I eat popcorn quite a bit. Uh, and here's a fun fact. Mason County leads the nation in popcorn production. So congratulations to Mason County uh, today. Uh, Saturday was also the International Day of Acceptance. So a day when people all over the world, it's international, uh, all over the world come together to support and embrace the challenges that come along with having a disability. So International Day of Acceptance was created as a way to recognize social acceptance of disabilities. And uh, I know in, in Illinois, we are working very, very hard um, with regards to helping those uh, pretty much, I would say we try very hard to help all, all of those out there, but um, also with uh, those with disabilities and um, our elderly and veterans and the like. So Illinois actually is a really great state. I just wanna put in a plug there because a lot of people like to talk negatively about Illinois, but you really gotta look at all the positives of Illinois. And then Sunday was World Religion Day. Now this is a big day. It was uh, aims to promote understanding and peace between all religions, as well as mutual understanding and tolerance between people from different backgrounds. This is something that's very important. We're not seeing that that much these days, but hopefully we can embrace it. That was Sunday. Uh, also, what we're looking at on the local news, I'll just give you a little bit of local news. Um, and then uh, moving on, uh, in 2024 marks 150 years for the Naperville Fire Department. So congratulations, Naperville Fire Department. It was founded and chartered by the city of Naperville and the state of Illinois in 1874 after two major fires occurred in the downtown area. So the Naperville Fire Department employs 200 full-time personnel and protects more than 146,000 people. That's, of course, the population of Naperville. And then this year, we just want to celebrate the 150 years of the Naperville uh, Fire Department. 
Um, and another news, um, and actually I just met with uh, College of DuPage President Brian Caputo. I just met with him a couple of weeks ago. He has announced his retirement. Now, um, Brian Caputo and I go way back. He was the finance director in the city of Aurora. Really, actually, it's pretty funny. We go back before I was an alderman because when I was an intern, uh, I was I did a little bit of intern with the city of Aurora when I was getting my master's of public administration. And I called up uh, Brian Caputo is the finance director of the time. And I worked with him on my um, my paper that I had to do for my internship. And uh, so I have known him now more than 20 years back. Yeah, maybe 25 years. And um, he has announced his retirement. So College of DuPage president Brian Caputo will retire when his contract ends at the end of June. He has been five years as a top administrator of the Glen Ellen Bay School. Uh, during his tenure, the college expanded dual credit programs with high schools, rolled out diversity, equity, and inclusion efforts, and recently approved a new four-year contract with full-time faculty members. Uh, so uh, President Caputo has steered the college through the pandemic as well. That's not an accomplishment. I don't know what was. Uh, the pan pandemic was very hard on many, many, many um, facets of our community. And so I would like to wish, I know we're in January, June is, is a couple months away, but uh, I want to wish Brian Caputo the best in his last final months at the College of DuPage. Um, he also had, he served in the, in the military and uh, in the National Guard. He was in the Army and his sons are, his sons are serving now as well. Uh, again, I've known Brian for 26 years, so um, wishing him a happy and wonderful retirement. Um, the General Assembly, let's just go straight to Springfield since I was there last week. Uh, so we have officially started. Uh, so the 2024 spring legislative session, like I said, has officially started. I went down to Springfield last week. Uh, and what we did last week was we had to file bills. And then we also looked at bills from last year that didn't quite get um, acknowledged and looked at. And we we either refiled those or or um, put in a request to have those uh, looked at again. So all bills must be filed by February 9th. So right now we had the deadline for uh, legislative requests. So our Legislative Research Bureau um, is what, and I've said this before, they look around and they look in the laws, all the different laws, there's different sections of the laws in which um, where to go to change when we request changes to the laws. That's that's what we do. That's the legislative um, job that we have overall. And uh, that deadline was last Friday. So I got all my requests in uh, with regards to drafting. So so now the lawyers are looking and some of them are kind of comprehensive. Like I'm working with the Department of Defense with regards to an anti-discrimination bill for veterans and veteran families and active dirty service members. Believe it or not, there are um, acts of discrimination against active military even today. And so we're looking at that working with the state liaison through the Department of Defense. And it's, uh, and and I got the, a call back to say that there's a lot of areas in our laws that talk about discrimination and um, and it's, it's kind of going to be a big bill. And we don't know if we can get it drafted by the time we need to file it because there's a deadline uh, with regards to filing bills as well. And the bills need to be filed by February 9th. We go back to session February 6th, and then uh, they have to be 
filed by February 9th. And I got a call that says that the, the drafter might not be able to get everything done with regards to that um, that bill. So we're working working really hard to see. Uh, there are avenues to get extensions, but really everything needs to be done with regards to filing February 9th. Um, and then right after February 9th, if you're inclined to sit and watch the governor's budget and state of state address. Now, uh, several months ago, or several years ago, I'm sorry, when when the pandemic hit, uh, we combined the budget and the state of state address. Uh, back when I started, and uh, and I believe even you know in, in uh, Governor Pritzker's first year, there were two separate dates. Uh, the governor would talk about the budget address and the state of state address, and two different occasions. Uh, then we um, passed a law to say you can do it on the same day. So the governor's budget and state of the state address is February twenty first. So uh, mark your calendars. It's at noon. Uh, most most of the time, every time I've done it, it's been at noon. And it is streamed on ilj.gov, uh, Blue Room Stream, and I'm sure uh, snippets of it will be on your local news channel if you don't feel like uh, watching it live on February 21st. Then the, the deadline that we always keep our eyes out on for is April 5th. And this is a deadline that we have to move all the bills out of committee into the House floor and then eventually out of the House floor and onto the Senate. So um, I know that it doesn't seem like we do a lot, but there's going to be a lot moving and going on in meetings and committee meetings and, and things are going to start really wrapping up with regards to session. So that's it. Oh, Roger is on the Facebook. We're going to switch a little bit. Roger, I saw Roger um, Saturday night at the American Legion Naperville social dinner, and it's been a while. So it was wonderful to see Roger. Good morning, Roger, for uh, zooming in. And then the mug of the day, I pulled out my favorite, my favorite uh, snowman mug. So uh, it's snowy out there, and there, I've seen a lot of good snowmans out there. So if you have a great snowman, or you had a great snowman in your um, front lawn, uh, share it, post it on Facebook, and uh, let me know. Bonnie and Gay are on board. Good morning, Bonnie and Gay. Glad to see you. Bonnie and Gay um, are great friends, known them for a long time, wonderful advocates, and uh, just wonderful people overall. And um, we're, we're going to keep in mind uh, that even though uh, the Supreme Court overturned or, or really didn't overturn, but changed the nature of Roe versus Wade uh, Monday, January 22nd, which is today, uh, was the 51st anniversary of the passage of Roe versus Wade. So it's been about two years since it's been changed. Um, really, uh, what had happened, Roe versus Wade took uh, reproductive health care uh, for women and made it a, a standard uh, throughout the nation. And um, two years ago, uh, what had happened is is it, the Supreme Court ruled that it is uh, should not be a nationwide um, constitutional right to privacy that should be established by the states. So um, so it it shifted the the focus of Roe versus Wade uh, from uh, a, a national constitutional right to privacy and and um, reverted it back to states. And so we've seen states take different approaches to women's reproductive health care, um, diminish uh, some access to some treatments that are needed. In Illinois, we have um, always and will continue, hopefully, 
uh, into the future, continue to respect and provide um, reproductive health care uh, in, in its full form, whatever, whatever reproductive health care services needed, um, that it will be available in Illinois. We've had a large influx of individuals from other states coming in to be able to um, really uh, reproductive health care is health care to be able to engage in proper health care for their circumstances. And, and uh, it's not stopping. And uh, Bonnie and Gay are, are fierce advocates of uh, full reproductive health care for women throughout the state of Illinois. And um, I appreciate them for that. So thanks for joining us in, uh, Bonnie and um, Bonnie and Gay. So um, what are we what, what are we still looking at for this new spring 2024 session? Um, so we're filing still uh, as a chair of pensions, um, looking at uh, filing legislation for pensions to fix our pension process. I've said this before, I'll say it again. We need a pension policy that's fair for the worker and fair for the state. Um, right now we have neither and uh, we really need to get going on a, on a right direction. So that is, we're going to continue doing that. We did it a lot of work, a lot of subject matter last year over the summer. Uh, and we are really going to be working again this year. These these big issues don't have simple answers. So people that have a simple answer for the state pension problem, they're lying to you. I'm just going to tell you that they they just or they just don't understand the whole um, interwovenness and uh, the way that all the pension systems interlock with other things. So, but working on that, uh, and then again, as I mentioned before, working with our state liaison with the Department of Defense with some uh, legislation for our service members, and then um, working. Uh, with regards to a couple other initiatives to help our, our veterans as well on, on multiple levels. And uh, then looking at mental health, mental health for our youth in care. Uh, I have a law being drafted again with regards to that and a couple of other things working on, which um, once they all come out of uh, the Legislative Research Bureau, I will give you an update on those. So... <clears throat> The assault weapons registration rules. So passed a law with regards to ban on assault weapons. And we have what is called the Joint Committee on Administrative Rules. It's called JCAR. Um, and they met last week and they pretty much voted along party lines on Tuesday to let the new assault weapon ban rules go into effect. Now, there had been a lot of court cases and the court cases have all kind of been settled with regards to the assault weapon ban. Um, so uh, it was called the Protect Illinois Communities Act. It bans the sale, purchase, manufacture, or possession of a long list of firearms that are defined as assault weapons. Now, as I, I've been talking throughout the time, um, <clears throat> there have been legal challenges both on the state level and on the federal level. Uh, so on January 8th, the United States Supreme Court denied Dan Cockett's petition for Satori on Calkins versus Pritzker, where the Illinois Supreme Court upheld the state law challenging the Illinois assault weapons ban. Uh, so, um, what they what what was that was about was a little bit of a nuance. Um, Calkins petition argued that uh, newly elected Illinois Justices Mary Kay O'Brien and Elizabeth Rochford should have recused themselves 
because they're defendants in this in a different case that has uh, and um, the individuals such as Governor Pritzker, Speaker Welch, President Harmon, which has been named in the case, had supported their elections. So the denial means that the Calkins decision is final. There's no issue there. Uh, former Attorney General nominee Tom DeVore um, is still trying to file cases. So, so what he's doing is he's filing cases on behalf of plaintiffs, and then he charges these plaintiffs $200. So it sounds like a really uh, interesting uh, way to make a dollar. And so he's challenging the assault weapons ban. Uh, the Coggins case is nearly identical to the divorce, or the ones that divorced filing. Um, the Illinois Supreme Court had consolidated all the cases in Effingham County, uh, denied divorce requests to consolidate his case with the Coggins case, which was filed in Macon County. Um, short, long and short of this. Um, the courts are are looking to side with the validity of this bill, uh, this legislation that was passed. And in federal court, um, Judge McGinn of the Southern District of Illinois denied a request by plaintiffs and the state defendants to stay the proceedings while plaintiffs filed the petition in the United States Supreme Court in the seventh on the seventh court's decision reversing a temporary restraining order issued by Judge McGinn. So the judge issued a restraining order. Uh, it was reversed. Um, so the Seventh Circuit's decision was consolidated review of four different cases. So there's a lot, lot moving on. But the the general view that's coming out of the courts and 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 it can be uh, extrapolated from the Supreme Court is that uh, the legislation, the Protect Illinois Community Act, that law will stand. So. Uh, Jay Carr, I know that's a long explanation for something. Talk about what happened last week. Jay Carr um, allowed the permanent rules related to assault weapons ban to go into effect. They had been kind of put on hold while we were looking at all these cases. These registrations, uh, just under 30,000 individuals had filed registration forms. Now, I personally know some people that just uh, gave them to family members in other states and, and uh, they're no longer here in the state of Illinois, uh, firearms that they own. 30,000 individuals filed registration forms ahead of the January 1 deadline. So the registrations covered roughly 69,000 firearms that uh, fell under the ban, as well as nearly 43,000 accessories. So uh, it's not really known what percentage that represents of the total number of assault weapons and banned accessories in circulation in Illinois. Uh, and there's some speculation that a large number of gun owners will refuse to comply with the registration requirement. Um, my experience has been the few people that I know, uh, those, those, um, uh, firearms that are supposed to be registered here in Illinois no longer are in Illinois. So that's, um, that's a long answer to, uh, what's going on in Illinois. Um, so we also have a new state task force. So uh, this task force is about um, the migrants that are the new arrivals working group. It's what's called that task force. It's a new arrivals working group. So the new arrivals working group was announced by Speaker Welch. So it has um, looking at uh, the state's response and budgetary approach to handling the influx of 
uh, asylum seekers coming into Illinois. I've said this before, and I've said this to other individuals that come up to me in different meetings, that the influx of individuals that are coming into Illinois are asylum seekers. They are looking to engage in the lawful admission into this country under the um, under the requirements and under the law that we have on the books for asylum seekers. And asylum seekers are normally um, fleeing um, hazardous situations, and and there's a category of of a category that has to go under with regards to um, them qualifying for asylum status. Uh, so a lot of people are complaining, and um, it's just important to know the facts that these individuals are coming in under the lawful process of asylum seeking. Uh, so the group <clears throat> is chaired by Representative Gon Gertzwitz, and uh, she's a very established immigration lawyer. And it all, and it includes Leader Robin Gable, Leader Jahan Gordon Booth, Leader Cam Buckner, uh, Dagmar Avalar, Evadina Delgado, Representative Terracas Howard, Representative Han Wynn, and Representative Dave Bella. So they will be working um, on all the different aspects of the asylum seekers that are coming into our state. Now, we also now have a task force as well uh, that uh, looks to promote the state's Underground Railroad history. Uh, so the Underground Railroad Task Force has met met the first time Tuesday to begin devising a strategy for sharing, growing, and celebrating the history of the Underground Railroad in Illinois. Uh, so the task force was created last year, consists of five legislators, three Democrats, two Republicans, and five Illinois history experts, all of whom are unpaid for their participation. So they have a website. You can look for the website. You can find the Underground Railroad Task Force website. Um, in the Illinois Department of Natural Resources under the Boards and Commissions tab. So on the website, people will be able to share relevant historical stories and read meeting minutes. And I know uh, when I was growing up in Wheaton, there was a story on um, how um, a house, and, and I can't tell you where, but maybe somebody watching don't remember, but a house in the basement found a, a um, an opening that was lined with bricks. And it was said that that was a tunnel that went from the house to the smaller house next to it, which was um, like a servant's house or, or uh, and <clears throat> where the the help was. And that that was a, an underground tunnel that went between those two, two structures. Um, and so it was really kind of interesting. And these historical aspects that are going to come out from the Underground Railroad, I think would be really great. So that's what happened last week in Springfield as well. We have, and I've talked about the Commission on Government Forecasting and Accountability before, COGFA. Uh, they report, they issue a report every single month. So if you're you're really, really excited about the state of Illinois and the finances, you can go to the Commission of Government Forecasting and Accountability website and all the reports are there. I get a copy uh, emailed to me that I, I look at um, every month. If you look at the COGFA December report, the, it, it also includes a summary of the liquor tax fees. So it's really interesting that over the last decade, beer tax revenue has decreased, while liquor and wine tax revenues have increased. Uh, so most of the liquor tax revenue uh, actually goes to our general revenue fund. What comes out of our general revenue fund, you ask? I talk about this all the time. The general revenue fund um, funds the state of Illinois. And through the general revenue fund comes our funding for K-12, 
colleges, um, through our revenue, revenue fund comes our Medicaid and, and um, our bond payments, our pension payments, and uh, funding for domestic violence shelters, early intervention services, you name it. So most of the liquor tax goes to the general revenue fund. However, um, there was a slight rate increase and that increase goes to the capital projects fund. So right now, as I've said before, I'll say it again, my dad used to say there are two seasons in Illinois, that would be winter, we're in right now and construction which we will be getting in the spring so when you're in that construction know that number one it's good to keep our roads safe our bridges safe and all that so don't get too mad but um that it's also paid for a little bit by the liquor a little little bit of the tax rate that was increased on the liquor tax so um we appreciate everybody who contributes to that because our capital needs are um are pretty pretty big we're also going to be looking at January 25th and February 23rd. So we have committee meetings. As you know, we have committee meetings in Springfield. When we're not in Springfield, we have committee meetings in the Belandic building, downtown Chicago. So the House Mental Health and Addiction Committee, along with the Senate Behavioral Mental Health Committee, are going to hold a joint hearing to discuss the workforce shortage for behavioral health. And the first one is uh, January 25th at 10 a.m. And again, these are live streams, so you can watch them, ilga.gov. Gov and uh, Blue Room Stream, if you have access to the Blue Room Stream live stream feature. Um, what we are looking at is we cannot continue to uh, look at uh, the aspects of mental health as we should without addressing the fact that there's a workforce shortage of behavioral health professionals to help individuals that are struggling uh, that need support. So uh, definitely that's going to be one. I think I'm going to tune into that one and uh, online. And um, and I'm interested to hear what they have to say because it's really important. In conjunction with that, I do have a bill uh, to provide mental health services for uh, youth in care for in our foster care um, service. So it goes along the same lines as the bill that I'm, I'm working on with regards to that subject matter. Really important subject matter as well. Um, and then finally, please in our pension consolidation, we were sued on that. Uh, the Illinois Supreme Court upheld the consolidation of municipal police and fire pension funds. Not always exciting, but it's something that comes across my desk. Um, and then uh, the Illinois Supreme Court found that multi-employer agreements, such as to payment of wages or whether they will hire each other's employees, may violate the Illinois Antitrust Act uh, with regards to staffing agencies. Um, and so uh, we are looking at... Um, at that, it may violate the Illinois Antitrust Act unless the agreement arises as part of a bargaining process. So there's a lot of things that are going on that come across my desk that don't um, really relate to passing laws, but it's really important for myself and, and my fellow uh, legislators to know about. A township trustee. So uh, there was a court case in April of 2021. A candidate was elected as a township trustee when asked to establish that he was not convicted of a felony or to resign from office. He did neither. Uh, so the state then filed a lawsuit to disqualify him from office and the trial court ruled in the state's favor. So this was the um, court case. Uh, that recently held that a township trustee was disqualified from holding township office because of a prior felony conviction in the People versus Zimmel. 
so the appellate court upheld the court's decision on the grounds that the state was not required to challenge the township's officials' candidacy prior to or at the time of the election. Uh, so um, that is uh, something else that came across my desk. I thought you might find it interesting. Uh, potentially, maybe not. Uh, the state, uh, the city of Chicago <clears throat> is being sued by Texas-based Wayne Transportation uh, with regards to legislation that they passed on the city level regulating where the buses can drop off um, the immigrants that are seeking asylum. And they would find buses that were dropping them off outside uh, normal business hours and follow the rules. Uh, New York City instituted similar rules last month. <clears throat> so to skirt the rules, the buses began dropping off individuals in the suburbs and then giving them a train ticket to the city. Now, one of the things that, that it needs to be kept in mind is that the city of Chicago is equipped, um, because they have all the federal courts there, is, is a little bit more equipped to handle the asylum seekers that are coming in because it is a federal court process that they have to go through, that they go through in order to stay in the U.S. So, um, however, as, as we've been talking about, tens of thousands of, of individuals are flooding the system. So we have a, a working group in the House, and then uh, we have other factors going on, but definitely something that we are looking into. So earlier, and then on the Supreme Court earlier this month, the Supreme Court heard appeals based on conflicting opinions by appellate courts, whether the odor of cannabis alone is grounds for police to search a vehicle. Now that's, uh, again, just comes across, just comes across my desk and I thought you might be interested in that information. If you're not, then you can just tune out. That's fine. <laughs> but if you're interested, uh, just giving you information to help you along the way. Um so that's kind of our Springfield in review. Uh, Governor Pritzker, now we can shift. That was more on the legislative side. We can shift to the executive side. As you know, we have our three branches of government. We have the executive, the legislature, and the judicial. Touched a little bit on the judicial while talking about the legislative part. Uh, on the executive side, our governor, J.B. Pritzker, announced that Illinois has received $14.9 million from the federal government. Uh, from the U.S. Department of Transportation for Charging and Fueling Infrastructure Grant. Uh, so the proposed project, the State of Illinois Community Charging Program, aims to advance community-based transportation efforts across Illinois uh, in the clean energy initiatives. So um, it's a joint effort between the Illinois Climate Bank as well as local and regional partners serving 273 project sites they will support the construction of 845 level two EV charging stations and 36 DC fast charging stations. Now, I know that we've been reading a bit in the news about how electronic vehicles, our EV uh, vehicles, are functioning a little bit less efficiently in this very, very cold weather we've had. Not necessarily today, but it was uh, brutal, brutal uh, last week in Springfield and the negatives, uh, negative you know, 10 below and that. Um, so there's a different kind of way to, to um, make sure that your vehicles get as much as they can in these cold weathers if you're driving electronic vehicles. Another thing that we have been looking at is how there is not enough charging stations and some individuals had to wait uh, quite a while for charging stations because they couldn't, they were 
away from home, couldn't charge from their house, obviously, and they had to wait for charging stations. So this is going to build out more charging stations uh, throughout the community, which I think is a, is a really great thing. And the federal government's given us money to it. So uh, if we didn't get this grant, other states would get this grant. So it's a plus that Illinois is getting uh, federal funding for these initiatives. Uh, under the governor's direction, the governor um, works at and uh, manages all the state's uh, departments. So under that, um, the uh, this is under the executive branch is the Illinois State Board of Education. So the Illinois State Board of Education looked at funding 5,000 new seats for preschool deserts in fiscal year 2024. That's up by 18%. So we're looking at areas of, it's one thing to fund education, but it's another thing uh, when in funding education, you realize that there are just areas that are not being served properly. And this is where this initiative comes from. So uh, they're looking to exceed the goal of funding 5,000 new seats and in, in, in uh, fiscal year 2024. Now, the General Assembly passes the budget so that the governor can do these initiatives. So while um, it's it, it falls under the governor's executive branch, the General Assembly funded these in, these funds to make this happen. So that's a joint working together initiative. Um, so Illinois State Board of Education is also looking to expand services for families with uh, babies and toddlers from birth to three. And that's an additional 1,130 children. So I've talked about this before. The research with regards to the brain development for children, um, really that birth to six year is the foundation for uh, the rest of the learning life of the child, believe it or not. And we want to make sure that these kids have a strong foundation. So fiscal year 2024, which the General Assembly passed and approved and the governor signed, dedicated an additional $75 million in state funding for their early childhood block grant. And uh, so that's part of the SMART start initiative uh smart start again goes back to that premise that uh, we need to make sure they have a great foundation educationally and uh birth to six and looking at um preschool deserts where um you know where three-year-olds and four-year-olds uh don't have access and so this is going to provide access for high quality early learning initiatives um the Department of Aging is seeking nominations. Here's a fun thing for Senior Illinoisans Hall of Fame. So the Department of Aging is seeking nominations for the 2024 induction class of the Senior Illinoisans Hall of Fame, which honors the accomplishments of Illinois residents aged 65 and older. Each year, four older adults are inducted into the Hall of Fame for their work in the arts, sports, and entertainment, community service, education, or the labor force. Anyone may nominate an older adult for consideration uh, to be eligible for nomination, 65 years or older, uh, a current um, a current Illinois resident or previous Illinois resident for most of their life. Posthumous nominations are also accepted, provided that the nominee was 65 or older and living in Illinois at the time of their passing. Uh, these nomination forms can be submitted electronically or turned via U.S. mail, fax, who, who uses a fax nowadays? I don't even know. <laughs> I guess the state of Illinois does fax machines. So use them if you can use them or email by June 1st. Uh, so you can look at the link. It would be ilaging.illinois.gov. And we will put the link in the comments for that. 
Uh, we talked about uh, the individual seeking asylum coming in. Uh, the governor was also allowed to um, give a total of $17 million towards building the capacity outside of Chicago. So $11 million is available for municipalities outside of Chicago. $4 million will support 13 Illinois welcoming centers. And $2 million will go to the immigration Immigrant Family Services Program Providers. So uh, there's a little bit of funding for that. Some people have asked me, how can the governor just spend this money when, when uh, we didn't put it in the budget? What we do have in the budget is welcoming centers. And what we do have in the budget is um, other line items that uh, look to provide services for individuals that, that need help, bottom line. Uh, we already have line items for that. So uh, what we're doing is not really shifting funds, but uh, using funds in those line items now, uh, a little bit of those funds now, 17 million sounds like a big, big number. It is, it is a significant amount of money. Um, but when we look at these line items, uh, some of these line items have um, uh, a lot more in them that we're working on. So um, we are working to help those individuals as much as possible. Uh, there's also some grants uh, shifting gears from that. The Department of Ag announced $6.4 million in grants to be available for projects designed to help strengthen the state's food supply chain. So we are looking at um, two categories, infrastructure, which seeks to expand the capacity and infrastructure and equipment only, which funds the cost of equipment. So those are going online. Ex applications are going to be accepted today, starting today. Um, and so then pretty much other things that are going on in um, that you might just find interesting data centers. I know data centers are very exciting. They're riveting. They're thrilled. Actually, if you visit a data center, it's kind of it, it really is interesting to see um, where the Internet is, where we're talking at all the servers in a small period of time. But data centers are growing. So in a short period of time, uh, Illinois has passed legislation to help uh, data centers. And uh, the data center industry has established itself is in Illinois because of this legislation that we had passed to assist and to draw data centers into Illinois. So since 2020, we have offered data centers uh, a, a bit of a tax credit on the wages for the construction workers on the projects in several underserved areas. Uh, we also have looked at uh, lowering in data centers with regards to um, land energy costs, local taxes, sufficient construction and operation workforce connectivity and lower the risk of natural disasters. So those are things that all go into the package when we're looking at data centers with regards to uh, incentives. And pretty much since 2020, Illinois is becoming a... Um, really a good industry for data centers, a good state for data centers. One of the things uh, we've talked about in the past and um, it's everywhere. Scammers are everywhere. We tell you all the time. I tell you all the time, whether you listen to me or not is another story, but do not click on, I do not click on any link on the email. So if somebody were to send me a link to something without me knowing it, uh, just out of the blue, it's just a link. I'm going to delete it. I don't click on any links in any emails that I'm not expecting that I don't know about. Um, that falls again along with um, 
claims for veterans, Camp Lejeune specifically now, the PACT Act specifically, we passed a law that says that individuals that are that are charging for services for veterans have to disclose that veterans can get services for free through the state veteran service officers or the county BACs. BACs. So uh, what we are looking at right now is, is scammers, specifically with Camp Lejeune Water, and are contacting people and trying to uh, get them all their information and scamming them. Um, don't share any information with anybody who calls you over the phone or sends you an email. They can sound real and official with real and official sounding names and titles. They will never call you. Only trust only trust the official uh, .mil, M-I-L, emails, and, and make sure you look at it very closely. Uh, so the, the Camp Lejeune Claims Unit in the Navy is clclaims at us.navy.mil. That's the Navy's official email for Camp Lejeune Claims Unit. Now, if you get a message from another email address, it's a scam. Make sure you know how to open up the header of your email to look at the email address for which it is coming from. This is very important because uh, it can come under any name. And, you know, if you get something from me with my name that sounds weird, it's probably a scam. And if you open up the header on your email, you will see that it comes from uh, a different email address. Make sure you familiarize yourself with these kind of um, nuances with regards to email. Never pay anybody money if it's asked of you. Again, you can get these services for free. If you get contacted by anybody, call our Illinois State Veteran Service Officers or call your county BACs. Um, definitely, definitely check, double check. You will never be asked for money from the Department of uh, from the Department of the Navy or any other claim. Um, there, that's my public service announcements of the day. Scammers are everywhere, and they're getting worse with AI. They are getting worse with uh, artificial intelligence. So you have to have to beef up your due diligence with regards to that. Um, togetherweserve.com. Actually, I'm a member of togetherweserve.com. I have an account. Uh, so that will allow you guys to preserve and share your military stories for free. Um, and so over 6,000 stories have been submitted since the military memories competition commenced on February 23rd or February 2023. 55 winning entries will be viewed at the Together We Served blog. So I'm actually on togetherweserve.com. Um, that's only for, for military veterans. And then if you have anybody who's going to University of Illinois, they froze in-state tuition for all three of the campuses for the 2024-2025 school year. So whatever you paid last year, you're paying this year, they froze it. And then I'm going to leave with um, just two other things. One, I'm very, very sad about. Very, very sad. <sighs> the U.S. Federal Highway Administration has given states two years to implement changes outlined in their new manual released last month. And what that new manual said, and I know we've been, I know I appreciate the wit and the creativity of the Illinois Tollway and their LED signs, 
uh, reminding people anyway from wearing their seatbelt to not drinking and driving, don't text and drive in very, very um, fun, memorable, succinct messages, which I believe is, is great. Uh, the new U.S. Federal Highway Administration has now said that funny messages on Illinois highway signs are no longer to be. So the overhead electronic signs that are have obscure meanings, pop culture references, or those intended to be funny will be banned in 2026 because they can be, quote, misunderstood or distracted to drivers. So some of the great examples of the IDOT signs, some of them that I really, I thought I was pretty funny. Uh, one of them was no texting, no speeding, no catch up. <laughs> and then the other one was, OMG, are you texting? Question mark. I can't even. Um, I, I thought they were very, very great. And, um, you know, would put a smile to, to my face and, and I think many others, but uh, the U.S. Federal Highway Administration was not smiling. They were not happy. In fact, they were downright um, anti-fun. Um, gotta love the federal government, right? So they're banned. So if you're wondering where the nice, quirky, you know, brighten your day, remind you not to speed, remind you not to drink, you know, remind you to be good drivers on the road, where those signs went, you can blame the U.S. federal government for that. And then um, Geico. Everybody likes the Geico commercials, right? There's a new Geico caveman commercial out there, and there is an Illinois native is the actor. So the popular Geico caveman commercials are back, and that means an Illinois native is in the national spotlight again. Jeff Daniel Phillips, he was lived here in Chicago, is an actor in the new Geico caveman commercials. He was also previously the Geico caveman back then. So... um that's uh, just a fun fact. Uh, remember radon, make sure you have um, radon tested in your house. Uh, the state treasurer has unclaimed funds. Make sure you go to the state treasurer's website and look for unclaimed funds. Uh, Friday, February 2nd is the resource fair for Kane County veterans in Batavia. I went to a resource fair on Saturday in Naperville at the Naperville VFW. Here's another resource fair for King County veterans in it's in Batavia at the Batavia uh, BFW um, Wednesday, January 31st. The Aurora area interfaith food pantry is excited to announce this month's pet pantry. Um, in addition to food, household foods, you know, some people could use help with food for their animals. So uh, you can download pet food as well. Uh, February 3rd, downtown Oswego chocolate walk for charity. If you want to go walk downtown, 10 to 2. And then throughout February, King County is offering free CPR classes in recognition of National Heart Month, which is going to be February, uh, which is going to be in February. And in February, we were red for, for heart health awareness. Um, so with that, that's pretty much the update I have. Um, I do give a little local sports. So in our local sports um Update, Wabonzi Valley Girls Bowling. The bowling team achieved a significant milestone by winning the conference championship for the first time since 2017. Congratulations, Wabonzi Valley Girls Bowling. Wabonzi Valley High School Basketball had a Friday victory. So the Wabonzi Valley High School Warriors trumped over the Naperville Central Redhawks on a final score of 44 to 27. 
if you don't watch um, high school basketball, I, it's just so much fun to watch. I know the the professionals are great, but I mean, there's just something about a high school basketball game that's just so much fun, and the kids are just amazing. So congratulations to Tyreek Coleman, who had exceptional performance leading Wabonzi Valley with 19 points. And then Saturday had a double win. The Warriors maintained their unbeatable record with a 46-29 to triumph over West Aurora, securing a 20-0 overall record and a perfect 6-0 in DVC conference play. On the flip side, Wabonzi Valley girls basketball had a win uh, they won a victory against Naperville Central with a final score of 79 to 71. And uh, Daniela Maproskoska uh, played a pivotal role, leading the Warriors in scoring with an impressive 28 points. Uh, Matea Valley, Matea Valley is not technically in the district where Bonzi is, but way to go, Matea Valley. Girls victory, Matea Valley girls uh, high school basketball. They emerged victorious against East Aurora with a final score of 50 to 30. Uh, and then the boys basketball dominated East Aurora with a commanding 80 to 51 victory. And then Aurora University Spartans women's basketball. Uh, if you didn't know, Aurora University has a women's basketball team. They have a lot of teams actually at Aurora, but had a victory against Rockford University with a final score of 81 to 73. So um, that's the roundup. Um, on a, on a what else I'm doing today on a quick note I don't know if I talked about this last week or not um because I am part of the women marine association here in Illinois we had uh just um celebrated a birthday for Muriel she was a hundred and we just uh, visited with her a couple months ago celebrated her 100 uh year birthday and I was there with her and, and a whole group and uh, she had a great time uh, she passed away peacefully um in her supportive nurse or supportive living facility uh and then today i'm going to go visit another legacy we call them legacy marines uh mary roa was a, a korean war veteran she's not doing very good she's on hospice we're going to visit with her she's 96 so if you know a veteran a legacy veteran a world war ii veteran uh you haven't gotten to know very well i would say uh stop by visit hear their stories because they're unfortunately not going to be around for that much longer. And um, we uh, cherish, cherish everything that they went through and, and their tra trailblazers. And um, so, um, so Muriel Underwood uh, passed away and, uh, and Mary is in hospice. So we're, we're going to just um, love them to death until, until they're no longer with us. And then we're going to keep loving them afterwards because uh, their memories are precious. So with that, have a wonderful Wonderful Monday. Stay warm. Uh, the weather is um, is turning. It's it's supposed to be rainy and and cold, and that that's uh, the recipe for ice. And you know that's not always um, a good thing when you're out there. So again, if you don't have to drive, don't drive. If you do drive, please uh, have extra time with regards to where you have to go. We will be back on January the 29th, the last Monday, the fifth Monday of the month. Uh, so uh, definitely have a great week. Again, COVID is out there. People are inside more. Uh, hand sanitize, keep distance. Be careful. Uh, you know, pneumonia is going around RSV. If you're feeling ill, stay home. Go to a doctor, get checked out. And we will 
um, Zoom with you next week. And then uh, we are in Springfield, February 6th. So take care, everybody, and have a great and warm day. Take care.